kingdom building, and, and we are talking about building well, building healthy. We want to be a healthy church, and we want to uh, build in such a way that we please the head of the church, Jesus. This is not my church. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church, and it matters how we build. And so we've been uh, in the middle of this. Uh, the first uh, sermon, we talked about let's be watchful lest we drift from the gospel. We need to be watchful uh, against gospel drift. And then we talked about fighting the flesh by walking in the Spirit and bearing spiritual fruit for the Lord. And then last week we talked about the importance of persevering under pressure because we know that life is hard. But we, we, we talked about last week how Jesus is worth it. He is worth it. And so we must persevere by drawing near in faith and holding fast our hope and stirring up one another to love. And that brings us to today. We're going to talk about unity today. Here's another uh, key element of our building. We build with unity. We have a prayer sheet. We have it in our bulletin. I hope you make use of it throughout the week. We share prayer requests. It's something that we're familiar with. We share prayer requests. Some of us keep our own ongoing lists of things that we pray for, that we ask God for. And one of the things that we've been praying for is for God to breathe new spiritual life into our church. For God to advance his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven through us, his people. And we recently did a 40 days of prayer for revitalization. In our passage today, we're going to get a glimpse of Jesus' prayer list. What are the things that Jesus prays for? What are the kinds of things that Jesus petitions his Father for? What does he go to him for? This is really an astounding passage when you think of it like that. Most of us think of the Lord's Prayer as, as the our, our Father in the Sermon on the Mount. But this is really Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. It wasn't his prayer. It was how he taught his disciples to pray. John 17 is what I like to think of as the Lord's Prayer. We're just going to look at a portion of this this morning. And we're going to see that Jesus desires for his church to be one. What does that mean? To really understand what this means, we're going to ask three questions about this unity that Jesus desires. And that's going to shape our, our time together in the word. So the three questions are, what is this unity? How do we get it? And what is it for? What's the purpose? What is unity? How do we get it? What is it for? Let's uh, read John 17, verses 20 to 23. And I'd like you to, to invite you to stand with me if you're able. John 17, 20 to 23. I do not ask for these only but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them 
and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. May we, be cha- may we be a changed people this morning. Because of your word, we invite the Holy Spirit to stir our hearts, to challenge and to convict and to encourage and to comfort. Help us to look that much more like you, Jesus. After gathering with your people around the preaching of your word this morning, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. First, notice this one simple fact, but profound. Jesus here, he's praying specifically for us. It's not that he was praying for someone else and that we can apply it to us, or that he's praying for his followers in a a general way, but he's praying for us. He's praying for all of those who will believe in the future, through the word, through the, through the teaching and the preaching of the apostles. And that's you and I. We're the people that will believe in the future. So he's praying for us. It's comforting then to know that Jesus was mindful of us during this prayer, but that he also knew the challenges to unity that we'd face. And here he is praying for the Father, for us to, to be one knowing the challenges that we face and, and we, we know that Jesus continues to intercede for his church even today. That we may be one. So what is unity? Look at verse 21. The kind of unity that Jesus desired uh, was not organizational unity. Just think, just think about the fact that the early church, church revived by its time, time when, when there was very little organizational unity. The church would one, one day gain favor under Constantine and eventually uh, would centralize as an organizational body that covered all of Europe. All of Europe. And this was during the Middle Ages. But, but was there a deep unity of faith? in that church that drew more people to genuine faith in Christ? No. In fact, it had a negative effect. Listen to how Spurgeon describes this period of church history. The world was persuaded that God had nothing to do with that great, crushing, tyrannous, superstitious, ignorant thing which called itself Christianity. And thinking men became infidels, and it was the hardest possible thing to find a genuine, intelligent believer north, south, east, or west. He didn't hold any punches there. Now, there, there's, there's some benefit to organizational unity, but this is not what the church needs most. There's value in, in organizational unity, but it's not what the church needs most, and it's not the kind of unity that Jesus is praying for here. Sometimes the Christian church is criticized for its disunity because there's so many different denominations. And while there may be some truth to that, because we are, after all, human, 
We, we struggle with sin. And there are ugly things that happen in the church because there are sinners in the church. But this critique lacks some understanding. While it's true that there are many different denominations, each with varying theological convictions, if a church preaches the true gospel, the message of the apostles taught and preached in the New Testament, then despite the differences, we're all part of what's known as the universal church. We're all part of the universal church. And this is what the Apostles' Creed means when it, when it says we believe in the holy Catholic church. The term Catholic here is not referring to a specific institution or an organization like the Roman Catholic Church. No, it's, it's simply referring to the universal church, the church spread all across the globe that transcends denominations and cultures and languages. And it is, it is the church that preaches the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And by nature of that fact, they're part of the church universal. It's, it's profound sometimes just to think. You know, our, our church is a beautiful thing, but the church is so much bigger too. The church is so much bigger. It's global. And it, trans, it, it transcends history and language and culture. Fascinating. Just, it's humbling even. In Matthew 16, 18, uh, after Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus tells him that on this rock he will build his church. Now, Catholics have understood the rock to mean Peter and that Jesus would build his church on Peter and an unbroken chain of apostolic successors. It would be the, the, the office of the Pope is what would, uh, he would build his church on. But however, pr- Protestants understand this to mean that the rock is Peter in making his confession that Jesus is the Messiah. This is the rock that Jesus will build his church on. Because after Peter, all of the other apostles would make a similar confession, and so too the church. And so the gospel has spread throughout history, as we've already mentioned today. Jesus' church has been and continues to be built upon people united in this confession. It transcends denomination, age, and gender, continents, languages, and cultures. Truly, Jesus' church has been advancing and the gates of hell have not and will never prevail against it. It's been advancing, and it will continue to advance so long as the church is preaching the gospel. Fishkill Baptist Church has historically aligned itself with a group of like-minded churches through what's, what's now called Venture Church Network, it was formerly known as the Conservative Baptist Association of America. They recently went through a name change there. But at the same time, we have the freedom to aid and partner with other gospel-preaching churches. For example, we have a church that's part of another denomination that's meeting in our gym right now. Right now. Because during the COVID season, they were meeting in the movie theater, and because the theaters closed down, they had no place to meet. And we had a wonderful large gym there that we could uh, lend to them to use for their gathering. 
And it was a joy for us to be able to bless another gospel-preaching church. Sure, we have differences, but they preach the gospel. That's what's most important. Beginning in June, I I believe we're going to be welcoming back the Korean church, New Covenant Community Church, a a group of uh, believers in Christ who preach the gospel. Uh, A Korean-speaking-only church uh, will be meeting here again. These churches would have no place to meet if it weren't for our willingness to be a blessing to those who preach the gospel. And while we may not share all the same convictions in in every area, we preach the same gospel, and one day, regardless of denomination, all who confess the name of Jesus will be gathered around his throne in heaven, worshiping Jesus together. That's the universal church. So the unity that Jesus prayed for was not organizational unity. And and neither was Jesus praying for uniformity. He wasn't praying for uniformity either. The goal of Christian community is not that we should all be exactly alike. You know, when we were in uh, Utah several years ago doing ministry among Mormons, it's easy to spot a Mormon because they all look the same. <laughs> They've got the, the white shirt and the collar and the black tie and they always walk in twos. You know, you, you know when, when you see Mormons because they, they kind of have this uniformity about them. But this isn't the kind of unity that Jesus was praying for. We should welcome a, a variety of personalities, interests, and styles. We should be glad for people who don't think about, the same, about things in the same way that we do, that have different perspectives. In fact, it's, it's possible for people who love Jesus to be part of the same church and even vote differently. Because it's not our political opinions that unite us. It's our faith in Jesus. So what is the unity that Jesus desires? It's, it's a unity that reflects the unity and diversity of the Trinity. Look at verse 21. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, Jesus says. Let me just try to explain the Trinity a little bit for us this morning. Uh, I hope I don't melt your brains because the Trinity can be confusing, but I'm going to try to do my best here. This is in no way an exhaustive uh, explanation. And there are many attempts to try to simplify the Trinity that end up not becoming very helpful uh, because they use analogies that, that are rooted in, in the created order. And really, when we talk about the Trinity, we're, we're talking about something that we can't compare to anything in creation. It's, it's, it's completely other. There's nothing that we can look to and say, oh, it's like that, right? Like, if you've never seen a, a bunny, I could say, oh, well, it's, it has fur and it has long ears. And you could say, oh, I know what a cat is, so I know what fur is, and I know what ears are, so I'll just imagine them being longer, so it's, it's like that. You can't do that with the Trinity. It's, the, the, there aren't categories to put it into. So the essential truths of the Trinity that have been affirmed throughout church history is that, is that God is one what, and three who's. He's one what and three who's, or one being that exists as, as three persons. 
Each are equal in power, worth, and dignity. Each give and receive love from one another. And this makes sense because if the Bible says that God is love, then the, the triune God must have existed eternally, giving and receiving love from each of the members of the Trinity. Because love couldn't have existed they also give and receive glory to one another. We see this earlier in, uh, in this chapter, verse 1. Jesus prays, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. They give and receive glory to one another. And yet, while each of the members of the Trinity share the same being, they are also distinct from one another. They have different roles. They have different functions. Take, for example, God's work of creation. How were each of the members of the Trinity at work there? The Father commanded it. He spoke it. The Son did it. And the Spirit sustains it. All three members of the Trinity are at work and unified in that one act of creation. Or his work of salvation. The Father planned it. The Son accomplishes it. And the Spirit applies it. Each of the members of the Trinity are are at work in God's redemptive mission. But while they each play a different role, the Trinity is united in their orientation, in in their desires, and in their will. They're they're united in mission. So the church includes all different kinds of people with unique personalities, interests, varying gifts, and abilities. But the thing that unites us is our common bond in Christ because of the gospel. In Christ, we share a unity of orientation in our worship towards the one true God. We share a unity of will and desire in that we all want what God wants. We share a unity of mission, each being commissioned to join Jesus in his work of redeeming lost sinners to himself. And while we're all united in these ways, we have varying roles that we get to play. This is the unity that Jesus prays for. It's a diverse group of Christians united by the gospel and for gospel mission. We're united by the gospel and for gospel mission. How do we get it? Verse 22. It's kind of a trick question because it's not something we get. It's something we receive. It's something that's given to us. Unity is given to us. If we are in Christ, we belong to his body, the church, and his body is not divided. Just a a brief word of caution. Uh, in the day and age that we live in, especially having gone through a pandemic and uh, a season where we weren't meeting together physically, many believe that they can have Jesus without the church. I'm sure you've all had a conversation with someone at some point, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. You know, I don't go to church though, I, just, I like to be out in the woods. You know, that's where I feel closest to God. That's church for me. You know, when I do those kind of things. But how can you love Jesus 
and not love his body. If this is you, it's possible that the Jesus you love is a Jesus of your own making and not the Jesus of the Bible. Unity is a group project. Jesus put you in a particular group of his followers for a purpose. If you're committed to this church or another local church, he has you in that group for a purpose, for a reason. We can't be united and completely independent. It's like the the bag of marbles I showed you a couple weeks ago. We can't just be a collective of independent people kind of rubbing past one another. The assembling of ourselves together in unity around the gospel is essential. It's essential. It's essential for your growth as a Christian. It's essential for your joy as a Christian. It's essential for the glory of God to be manifest even more greatly This is something that in this COVID season we must be sensitive to because there's this temptation that I can watch from home. I can watch from the comfort of my living room and this is, I can do church at home. And these, these things, these, these advances in technology that make those things possible are great. And it serves a good need for people who can't come out. We have someone in our body who, who can't get out because of uh, health concerns Or maybe your, your, your approach to Christianity is a la carte. You, you have these sermon podcasts you like to listen to, and there's some great worship music on Spotify. What do I need church for? I, have, I can get great preaching. I can find really good music that I like. It makes me feel good. But I, I've got news for you. You can find better preachers than me online. I know, because I've, I've heard some. There's some good stuff out there. Uh, You can find just the right style of music that you prefer. Maybe the style of music here isn't always your cup of tea. I happen to really appreciate you guys, by the way. Thank you. Uh, But, you know, everyone's got their tastes and their, you know, preferences. You can find that on Spotify. You can find better preaching online somewhere. But that's not achieving the unity that Jesus desires for his church. There's nothing wrong with these things, but we must be careful that we're not tempted to make them a replacement for the gathering of his church. Because that works against unity. I may not be the greatest preacher on the internet, but I'm your preacher. Our music team may not be your style. They're your music team. You may not jive with every, pe- every person in the church. They may not be the most likable person to you, but you know what? They're your brother and sister in Christ. Unity is a group project, and Jesus put you in this group for a reason, to grow you into greater holiness and maturity. Where does unity come from? Let's look at verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that 
they may be one even as we are one. Our unity is a result of the glory that Jesus has given us. And this is the same glory that God the Father gave to him. So what is this glory? We need to understand this because that's where our unity comes from. Glory commonly refers to the revelation of God's character and his person, who he is. And the reason that Jesus faithfully revealed God's character to his followers was to reconcile them to God, to bring reconciliation to God through the revelation of the person of Jesus. And this work culminated with his death and resurrection, the ultimate display of God's glory and his person and character. And as Jesus now has uh, given this glory to us so that we can make him known and we then become participants in this act of redemption by making him known to the world, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our community. This is the unity of mission that Jesus has given us. Think about how a common goal and mission brings unity in other ways. Actors in a play are united in the goal and mission of telling a story. Players on a football team are united in the mission and goal of winning the game and going to the Super Bowl. The glory of showing the beauty of Christ in the gospel to the world is the mission that unites the church. It's the mission that unites the church. But while unity is given, it's also something we must strive to maintain. One aspect of unity is that because it's given by nature the fact that we are adopted into the family of God, we don't get to choose who our brothers and sisters in Christ are. They're likely to be different from you. And as we're probably well aware, it's our difficulties that are most likely to cause friction and conflict. You know, it's easy to love people who are likable, But remember, we don't choose who our brothers and sisters are in Christ. You've been put in this group project by the master, and he knows what he's doing. And it's when we encounter friction that there's opportunity for growth, and for forgiveness and understanding and care. God may bring a difficult brother and sister and Christ into your life to teach you how to love someone who's hard to love. Sometimes when my kids are not getting along, I, I'll tell them, you know, God may be teaching you how to get along with your brother or sister to help you to love people who are hard to love you know, outside our family. So how can we strive to maintain this unity? Even with people who can really get under our skin. Listen to Paul's words in his letter to the Ephesians. This comes from chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, 
with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You see that? We maintain our unity in the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is the supernatural bond that we all share. We have made peace with God by being reconciled to him through his son, Jesus. That's the bond. Jesus died for our sins not because we were lovable, but because he chose to, despite our ugliness. And that gives us supernatural strength to love the unlovely. If Jesus can love you, right? If Jesus can love me, I can love someone who's hard to love. It's not because you're such a loving person, but because he first loved you. Our ability to love comes from God. Remember these words from 1 John 4, 19 and 20. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Our love is proportional to our understanding of God's love for us. I'll say that again. Our love for each other is proportional to our understanding of God's love for us. So if we really understand God's love for us, then we can love him and others supernaturally with a love that's not from this world. However, if we find that we struggle to love God and others, it's possible that you've not yet experienced God's love and forgiveness for yourself or that you don't have a deep appreciation or understanding for God's loving forgiveness. In fact, the majority of your growth as a Christian can be directly traced back to how much you understand what Jesus has done for you. So unity is given to us when we receive Christ's forgiveness and are made part of his family. And unity is maintained by remembering his forgiveness. That brings us to our last point. What is this for? What purpose does this serve? Verse 23, the unity of the church is a powerful means that God uses to make himself known to the world. There's, there's something about our unity that gives evidence to the watching world that Jesus is the real deal. There was a survey done many years ago that asked people why they chose to return to a particular church after visiting. And you know what the number one answer was? It wasn't the music. That was number three. It's still pretty high up there. Uh, It wasn't the preaching. That was number two. The number one reason why people return to a church after visiting is because they felt loved by the people there. They felt loved by the people there. So as much as we desire quality preaching and good music as tools to grow our church, 
We must also strive to maintain our unity in love for God, for each other, and for any visitor who walks through these doors. It's just as important as good preaching and good music. Is how you love one another. Is how we love one another. And how we're mindful of when someone new walks through those doors and how well we love and care for that person. Try to make it a practice on a Sunday morning to kind of look around and, you know, see if you see anyone new and try to, maybe after the service, go introduce yourself. Learn their name. That's powerful, by the way. Uh, learning someone's name. This is something that we all must be a part of. This is our group project. Not all of you can preach or play music, but we can all show love and be a blessing to others. I can preach, but I can't love for you. One simple way to do this, like I said, is remembering a name. I remember several occasions uh, in my youth ministry days, a, a new team would come and I'd, I'd make it an effort. And it wasn't easy. Some of you might be sitting here thinking to yourself, you know, oh, I can't remember anyone's name. And it's kind of an excuse. Like, this is how I am, right? You can get better. You can work at it. You can put effort into it. And I think most people understand that it's, it's hard to do that. But one of the things that communicates love tremendously is when that student would come back the next week and I greeted them by name, and I remember on many occasions a student just being floored, like, what, you remember my name? <laughs> you know, it was, it was tremendously impactful. To try to meet someone new on a Sunday, remember their name. When you see him again, uh, greet them by name. It's our unity and love that will show how remarkable Jesus is to a lost and dying world. But in order for them to see it, this work needs to be made visible. So how do we do this? How do we make our love visible? One way that we're going to do this is with our free jazz picnic on June 10th. We're going to be in the community at Hopewell Recreation Park. You know what would be great is if a bunch of us showed up and got creative about how we can show love to people. So we don't go first for ourselves, for our own entertainment, but we think about how to love those who stop by out of curiosity or maybe wander over after their kids' little league practice is over because they heard the music. You know, how can we care for them? How can we love them? Another way we can make our love and unity visible is by joining a life group. Life groups are our way of getting people plugged in to gospel-centered communities that are not possible for us to have on a Sunday morning. These groups meet to study the Bible, but they're not just Bible studies. These groups meet to pray together, but they're not just prayer meetings. These groups seek to care for one another and bear one another's burdens But it's more than this too. These groups strive to be on mission together, to serve together. One of the ways we can do this is by being active together in our community as a life group. Take advantage of opportunities. I think I mentioned this last week or the week before, but our our town in East Fishkill had a town cleanup day. And there were lots of different little league teams coming and helping out. But what if our church, what if your life group got together. Sometimes it's easier to mobilize 
a smaller group of people more quickly. You learn about it that week and you text your life group and say, hey, let's go you know, serve our community here. Let's be uh, a presence in our community and love well. A group I was once a part of went to wrap Christmas presents that were going to be given out to underprivileged children. And this wasn't an organization that was a Christian organization. It was just a, a group in our community. And so it was great to go as a life group and to rub shoulders and serve alongside other people in our community and be able to explain to them you know, why we serve. Or maybe your group could have a barbecue at one of your members' homes. Invite some of the neighbors to join in. Get them, give them a, a front row seat to how Christians love one another. One of the remarkable things about our life groups is that they're, they're purposefully not affinity-based. Any group is open to anyone, regardless of age, gender, hobbies, interests. We made this decision because we believe that the diversity of these groups reflects the power of the gospel that does not discriminate. It transcends all of these things. It transcends age and gender, ethnicity and culture. Think of it this way. When, when you observe a group of people, in general, there's, a, there's usually a, a lowest common denominator that is the thing that unites them. This could be a common interest and hobby, like a, a knitting group or a, a quilting group. Who knows? But I think this is most easily seen in teen culture. You observe a group of teens and you can tell, you know, they all dress the same way, they do their hair the same way, they listen to the same music, subscribe to the same YouTube channels. For those of us who have careers, we know what it's like to go to a a job-related convention and, and you observe some stereotypes associated with your job. My wife and her family were very involved for many years in a homeschooling convention in Massachusetts. And in the early days, it's no longer like this, but in the early days, you would see a lot of homemade denim skirts and dresses, you know, kind of the stereotype of the homeschool family. So when it comes to the church, our unity is not found in the things of this world. Our unity is supernatural. And the life group that I used to be a part of was really incredible because it included some grandparents, a college student, some parents of younger kids, a couple who were born and raised in another country and culture. And I'm sure, economically speaking, we're all over the map. And truly, the only thing that we had in common was Jesus. And we, we gathered, we met faithfully, we prayed for one another, we cared for one another. It was Jesus that brought us together. Now take a group like that out and to serve in the community. And, and, and this is a powerful testimony to Jesus because people will wonder, what in the world do all those people have in common? What is it that brings those people together? And we can tell them, you know, it's actually something not from this world that brings us together. Jesus brings us together. Jesus unites us. Because he's worthy. He's worth it. As we seek to love our community, may we reflect the gospel that knows no bounds and shows no partiality in our witness. Because this makes Jesus look so good to the world.
When Christians love each other well, it points others to Jesus. And think of John's words in, in chapter 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And what makes our love supernatural is it's not based on the fact that other people are so lovable or that uh, we're such good people. It's based on the fact that we were unlovely and Jesus loved us anyway. We were unlovely and Jesus loved us anyway. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He desired to. And so church, we want to see hearts turn to Jesus here. We especially want to reach the next generation. We want to see people getting baptized and joining our church. We want to see disciples making disciples here. But we must remember, this is the last slide if you've got it up there, our ability to reach our community will always be directly tied to the measure of our unity. Our ability to reach our community will always be directly tied to the measure of our unity. So let's be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Let us love one another well because Christ first loved us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you loved us when we were so unlovely. We wanted nothing to do with you. We were rebels in our flesh deserving of death and eternal separation from you in hell, yet you chose to love us. You entered into our world, your creation. The creator became part of his creation, adding a fully human nature to himself, walking this life in a broken world, giving up your throne in heaven to suffer That trail would bring you to the cross where you would die as a payment for the sins of the world to reconcile people to yourself. Father, we thank you that your shed blood on the cross is for all kinds of people. Different colored skinned people, people who speak different languages, people of different heights and shapes, people of different personalities. Father, you care for all people. Father, help us to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in our midst. May may Fishkill Baptist Church be a church that others look at and think, wow, what is it that brings those people together? What is it that makes them so loving? Father, may we be ready to point them to Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.